Good morning to the whole church, uh, wherever you may be. Um, I would like to welcome you not only to our fellowship formally, uh, but also to a new sermon series. We are in a series we've entitled Living Stones, which is connected to our, an effort that we are about to engage in to significantly improve the facility here at 505 Schoolhouse Road. So this is a few, means a few things. If you, are, if you belong to Sycamore Hill Church in any way, shape, or form, this is a really important time to pay attention and sort of weigh into the next several weeks. If you're a guest, we're not trying to get your money. So just enjoy, uh, enjoy service as it is. But please, uh, the question is, are you of us or aren't you? And uh, that'll sort of guide your path. And we're going we're gonna to begin to answer that question of, is this your fellowship this morning? And I'm going to start with a, a quiz. It's a pop quiz. And it is half your grade. <laughs> All right, you're going to see a picture, and I need you to tell me what it is. And an easy quiz, okay? To church, right? To church? It's not. It's a fraternity. Okay? I believe this is up at uh, Rensselaer. A frat house bought this abandoned church. Let's try again. Question number two. Now, I know what you want to say. You're like, I want to say church, but I don't want to say church, right? It was a church. It's now a winery. Uh, here's another one. This one, what's this? Church. Wrong. It's a skate park. That's in England. Here, this one I think is in Harrisburg. Church? Nope. Laser tag. Laser tag. This is, I think, is my favorite one. That is the ceiling of a church, is it not? Yeah, you're thinking, oh, this is a church. This is not laser tag. This is a church. It's actually the world's nicest bookstore. This is in the Netherlands. They took an old cathedral. Here's one more. Ah, two more. It's a sort of a church. Some atheists bought it. It's now a place for free thought. By the way, you're welcome to think freely here today. I'll give you the last one. What's this? Hmm. That is the question, is it not? Church is a squirrely word. It's a place. I mean, that... I mean, you felt it, right? You go to church. The word comes up. It seems to identify a place. It seemed to identify a building to you. It's a squirrely word. It's a dangerous word. It is... We've got to be real careful when we talk about building and church. There's a verse in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the 16th chapter. 
Jesus is visiting his, with his disciples, and he says to them, hey, what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And the disciples begin to sort of go through, well, some say this and some say that, and it carries on for a bit until Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, it's one of these great moments. You can't help but love Peter. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, or Bar-Jonah is the Aramaic. Blessed are you, Simon, Peter, for this wasn't revealed on your own power. This was given to you by the Lord. And then he gives him a name. This is uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 18. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates, church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Big verse, bold verse, big moment. The church continues to lean on this passage. There are, and by the way, it's not the easiest passage to translate or interpret. There are entire books written on this verse. Because for one, the implications that people draw from this are very divergent and very significant. And the words in the verse are a little bit, or can be enigmatic. Crack the door, at least, for divergent opinions. You know, so rock is spelled differently two different times. It's a masculine version. It's a feminine version. What is this in the thisness of the passage connected to the earlier passage? What does, I mean, is this the papacy? They find it here. It's a big verse. Oddly enough, in all the writing, very little time is spent on the what I think is the most significant translational decision in the entire passage. Okay, in this passage, there is a huge, huge translational decision being made. And the word is church. It's not there. So the passage you see on the screen that I read from you from the Bible is from the English Standard Version Bible. This Bible is uh, regarded as like a word-for-word translation. Sees a word, translates a word, for the most part. And yet, here, the Greek word behind the word church does not mean church. This is, by the way, the first time it shows up in the Bible. It's Mark's, Matthew 16. The Greek word behind this word is ekklesia, which means it's not even a religious word. It means gathering or assembly. If there was a bridge club that was going to meet Thursday night at 6, they could announce their ekklesia this Thursday at 6. It's not a religious word. It's assembly is what it means. It means congregation or gathering. But we have grown accustomed to using the word church. Though the word church never once shows up in the Bible. Now you may be thinking, yay, splitting hairs. I don't think I am. Because a gathering of people is very different than what you said in your quiz. A gathering, an assembly, 
In fact, if you use the word assembly in that passage, actually the word that begins to stand out with strength is not the word assembly, it's the word my. <laughs> if it's this sort of secular general word for just gathering or, or congregation, what's significant is that Jesus is saying, and on this rock, I will build my people. And the my, this little two-letter word sort of stands up and says, I have my time. My people people of Jesus. We're the people of Jesus. And that's all we are. So how do you get from gathering to building? How did that happen? It's sort of an interesting history. This is sort of the cliff note version. In the fourth century AD, uh, the Christian movement became legal in the Roman Empire and actually became official eventually in the Roman Empire, which a lot of squirrely things happen when the presiding political power becomes the torchbearer for Christianity. Okay, may it never be so again. We do better when we are not possessed by something of man. But nonetheless, it became, it sort of went into the basket of the Roman Empire and so, and Historically speaking, the Roman Empire went from pagan to Christian almost overnight. So you had a lot of people who were bowing in the shrine of Aphrodite, who in their very same lifetime were told, oh no, this now needs to be the shrine of Christ. And while the statue changed, maybe the souls didn't. So what ends up happening in the 4th century is they becomes, there arises this fascination now within the Christian movement for the places where holy things happened. They wanted to enshrine those places. So if there was a martyr who had lived a remarkable life, they would go and they would build a building, a shrine, a chapel, I don't want to be unnecessarily pejorative, a chapel on top of his bones. In fact, if I was just came from the Holy Land. Everywhere you go, every holy site, is endowed with a big rock building that's built right on top of it. You want to see where Jesus was born? You have to go into a, into a church, down into the basement grotto of the church to see it. There's a church on top of it. There's a church on top of the birthplace. There's a church on top of the Mount of the Beatitudes. There's a church on top of the house of Peter. There's a church at the cave of Elijah. There's a church at the empty tomb. There's a church at Mount Calvary. There, you name it, there's a church there. In fact, the Latin word that was used was basilica, which, again, is not even a religious word. It means public building. Because the Roman Empire is Christian, right? So we're going to put a public Roman building on this holy site. Later in time and deeper into sort of the European story of Christianity, a new word rose, sort of raised its hand to carry the banner. It was a German word. And the German word was Kirche. Kirche was a German word that meant place of worship. And it was pre-Christian, in fact. It could have been pagan or Christian. But it was a place of worship. And it's from the word Kirche that we get the word church. As it was brought into the English language, it got knocked around a bit, and now we have church. 
ecclesia, people. Kirsha, place. That's how we get to church. But irony of ironies is church is the word we have. It's the word we have. And so we're, we are using a word that has a problematic origin. And by the way, I am going to say, I'll say this uh, to Wilmington or to anyone watching, I'm going to refer to church in the most general sense today. Uh, I understand that we're camp, this is a campus and there's a campus in Wilmington, but this is a message about church. And so uh, it's amusing in the general sense. But if we, if we are, the people are the church, then what are we building is the question. I think it's a kind of a hazardous path where I don't mean hazardous and we shouldn't go there. I mean it's tricky. When we endeavor to break ground and add to this facility, tricky things may happen inside of us. I'm sure there are many of you here who have at one time or another, in one church or another, been through a building program and have observed tricky things. Odd things. It's easy, next Sunday you're going to get a brochure and it's going to be glossy and it's going to have pictures and there's some part of you, I hope, will go, ooh, that's nice. If it isn't, don't tell me. Okay, all those decisions are final. Uh, You'd be amazed at how much a picture costs even. Uh, But, oh, you know, you're going to, ooh, yeah, that would be nice to have that. And for some of us, we've been here so long and we're so deep into the problems that it's like a breath of fresh air to say, "Is, is it possibly now finally happening? But in all of that can be a sense that finally now God's going to put his church here. It's here. It's so important to be accurate about what we're about to do. We are going to strategically improve the facility at 505 Schoolhouse Road so that it can meet and enable the ministry of the gathering of Jesus Christ that is here. We're not building a church. We are meeting the needs of a church with a better facility. That's what we're doing. When we say that God wants to grow and spread and mature his church or his kingdom, we don't mean buildings. We, buildings are means to the mission of God. What God really wants to do is grow assemblies of people, assemblies of Jesus, in such a way that they're moved to spread, to send themselves to new places, so that there's new assemblies of Jesus, and that all the assemblies of Jesus would progressively be matured into the likeness of Christ. That's grow, spread, mature. Somewhere in all of that, facilities sort of raise their hand and say, how can I help? but they are a means to a holy end. You might say that both of our campuses right now and for the past year have, years have actively been engaged in a building program. 
We build the church of Jesus Christ every time we add a new soul, every time someone advances in their knowledge of the Lord a little bit, every time a deeper Christian friendship is sort of fused so that more confession and sharing and transparency can happen. That is the church building that Jesus talks about. When he says, on this rock, I will build my people. We adopted the phrase living stones for this campaign very intentionally. This church has been part of my life since 1985. Um, I want to be so careful with it. And Matt, 1 Peter 2, 5 says this, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Isn't that so true? You're, you, we are the living stones of God. We're his living stones. Not these stones, these very similar rectangular stones that sort of line the room. God looks through this roof and into this room to see the stones of the church. People matter. Buildings are means. And I'll tell you, there is so much freedom in this. Freedom that I found in this. You know, there were years, years that I poured through the Bible trying to figure out what is the right size church, what is the right size building, how big is too big? Because I was born and raised in a small church. I had all of these thoughts and opinions. And what I find, in fact, is that God is always and only talking about the living stones of his church. And the building is sort of a, an, on a deep, barely even visible topic. If the church, the gathering, the living church is real, they use whatever facility they need to use. It's free. It says, well, let the building suit the gathering. Let the building minister to the mission of the people. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. I confess, I all week when I was sort of angled on Ephesians, I wasn't exactly sure why I was supposed to be here or why I felt led here. I, I hope, I hope this is of uh, this is of the Lord, because it seems like a roundabout way to even to me. So the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, it says in the first verse, Paul is writing, it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Okay, it doesn't say church. It says to the saints. Even if the word there had been church, I would have said to you, it isn't church, it's ecclesia. It's gathering. It's never church. It's the assembly but he's writing to the assembly that happens to meet variously throughout the city of Ephesus and certain sorts of facilities of which we know very little about because it doesn't really matter. Whatever facilities seem to work, 
for the vision of God that was among them. That's what they met in. Or they were trying to get to one that would. Okay? And in this letter, Paul, in the 16th verse of chapter 1, says, I pray for you. He says, I'm remembering you in my prayers. And then he begins to describe his prayer in verse 17. And that's what I'd like us to look at. I have uh, the oddity that it's right at a page turn for me. So it comes at a key moment. So this is what it says, that Paul remembers us, uh, them in their prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give, and then I got to turn my page. So I got all excited because I was going to get something. And then I saw it was wisdom. I was like, man, that's a bummer. And then, you know, the Lord, the Lord says, that's so unchristian. Come on, man. And I, I kind of get a hold of myself. And, and I'm only saying this to you because that's how we are, right? We would forfeit the wisdom of God for an ice cream cone. <laughs> the riches of God, right? But he prays to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give us, to the Ephesians, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And it's going to be a long, high, very high-sounding sentence that I'm going to read you. And if it falls out of one side of your head, just, just hang with me. We'll work, out, work it out. I just want you to hear it all. So he wants us to have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. By the way, it's ecclesia, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Such a big sentence. It's two sentences, but big language. Let me summarize it. Paul is praying that God would give the gathering of Jesus the wisdom to Wisdom to truly understand what they've gained. So I pray that you might have wisdom to discern, a spirit of wisdom to discern, that your eyes might be illuminated so that you may discern all that you've got in the Lord. That's verse 17 to 18, that you may know the hope to which he's called you, all this that you've gained. And he begins to sort of enumerate it, and he enumerates it in two ways. He says, that you might know everything that you've got, right? Have this living hope in God and that you could see it. And then he points to the richness of the inheritance of the saints. In other words, that you might be able to behold the gift of God and him giving you to one another. You might look about and realize the rich inheritance you have in the saints 
and the immeasurable power of God to those who believe in him. Those are the two things that sort of Paul prays that God might give us the wisdom to see is all that we gain through the fellowship and all the power that is found through him who believe. And then he says that you might know this according to what he's already done for Jesus. And he sort of, now he starts, he just jumps off the top rope about Jesus. He says that you, like, why should we, why should we have this living hope and see the richness of the glorious inheritance of the saints and understand the immeasurable power of God for those who believe? Well, Paul would say because of what he's done for Jesus, because he has raised him up from the grave and seated him. And just listen to all the superlatives that are sort of in this text. He raised him up from the grave and seated him up high above in the heavenly places. It's a superlative place. Far above every power and authority and dominion. In this age and in the age to come. And has given him a name that is above every name. You hear how, you hear the great and mighty power of God? He says, if you know what God's done, and then you realize that it's been done for you, then you'll see the richness of the glorious inheritance among the ecclesia of God and the power, the immeasurable power that comes to us through him. And then he says this last thing. He says, and God has placed everything under his feet and has given him as head to the assembly through whom he fills them with himself. That is what the church is. I mean, much could be said uh, at this point about that passage, but what I want you to experience or feel or at least acknowledge is the livingness of that passage, how animated it is, how alive it is, how vibrant it is, the vitality of life that's being spoken and we are at the end of it. So God wants you to have a living hope where you can see the richness that you have possessed through the saints, the inheritance of the saints, and that you could know, you would know and believe that you'd have the immeasurable power of God. And how would you know that? Because God's done all these things through Christ, all these superlative extremes through Jesus Christ. He's above everything, everything's below him, his name's greater forever. And all of that, he now fills within the gathering of believers. There's no building in that. It is, it's entirely organic. I don't mean unstructured, I mean alive. We are, the word used for us is we are the body of Christ.
a little later in the second chapter, God's going to give his reasoning for this. He's going to say in the 10th verse, don't you understand? We are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's had, he's known beforehand so we could walk in them. But why have we been, why has the body, the living body of living people been filled with the immeasurable power of God and given a sense of wisdom about the rich inheritance of the fellow saints? Why has that happened? Because God has something he wants us to do. You feel the motion in that? How does a building do that? We do that. A body moves. Some of you may be saying, well, what about the building? Talk about the building. I, I, I will, and I am in a way. If we're going to endeavor together as a church of Jesus Christ to spend a lot of money, how will we justify this? How will we justify it in your mind? That's what I care about. What we build has to, has to be a means to the work that God has given us. Because we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of those works. I think, and in my mind, I'm not really thinking so much I hope you hear this right. I'm not really thinking of the longtime member who comes every Sunday and remembers when the children's wing had no heat. Uh, I mean, we've had various. Just so you know, this building started, we, this church started in a house. I mean, the facility has matured to meet the mission of the fellowship. But to, to the closest in member, like, I know you're up for this. I know you're going to give. I know you're like, a finally, world's slowest pastor. <laughs> I get that. And so in one way, I'm talking over the home team a little bit. I'm reaching out sort of to the, the those here who might say, I'm sort of on the periphery. Is this, I'm not sure if this is my church. You know, and stop and go, well, we have sort of been visiting for a year and a half, two years. I guess this is my church. Like, I'm trying to reach to you to say, what does it mean that this is your church? I'm hoping to leverage this building program as a way of growing the assembly of God in a meaningful way. So this is the number one question I think you should ask when encountered with uh, a church that's about to spend a strategic amount of money on an inanimate object when it itself is only animated. You should ask, is their life, is this fellowship alive and active? Is it alive and active? Are there signs of life here? Are good things of God taking place here? 
Now, I know that I drink the Kool-Aid, but I'm a big fan of this place. I mean, I'm, my life is committed here. I mean, I look down that hallway, the few times I get, it's living and active, always living and active. Nursery's living and active. Youth ministry's living and active. Women's ministry's living and active. Men's ministry's living and active. Life groups are living and active. We're doing things. I could look all over places and see signs of living and active. I mean, I, well, I don't know how useful it is, though, for the pastor to brag about the church. You know, if you don't believe it, that's what I'm going to say is not going to work. It's your question to answer. Is there life in motion in Sycamore Hill Church? It's to be asked here across our campuses, the vision of ministry that is coming out of Sycamore Hill Church, is, does it appear to be the hand of God at work? In, uh, I think of grow, spread, mature. The vision of Sycamore Hill Church is to be to partner in the growing and spreading and maturing kingdom of God. Because if God is, if something God does, why wouldn't we want to do it also? Why would we ever want him to do something without us? In 2008 and 2009, uh, we had already identified the the facility improvement that we're going to do shortly is not dealing with a single new issue that we didn't know about in 2009. Some of you are thinking, I know that. But there there were other things that our church was not doing so well in 2009, right? When Grow, Spread, Mature sort of was impressed on the heart of the church, we looked and said, we are not, we're not very, we're not naturally good at spreading the kingdom of God, participating in that. We like the thought of it happening and we give a lot of money to it, but we don't do it. And the thought was, we cannot build, we cannot endeavor to build if there's an entire dimension of God's ministry that we're subcontracting. And so we said, we will not add another brick to this building until we strategically take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a place that will not come back. As we go plant, we take this and we plant this good news somewhere else and it grows up as a new tree, a new hope, and a new land. It gives shade to new people. And out of that came Loma Coffee initially, which was a small endeavor by comparison to what eventually happened in 2012, which was our first attempt to plant. We planted the Wilmington campus. Because God wants to grow and spread and mature his kingdom. And since then, in 2015, we began to say, you know, we at least need something inside of the label of Sycamore Hill Church that says we are on mission. So we go to Burkina Faso right now. We are invested there, not because we have to go there, not because God only cares about there, but because we need to go somewhere to, tell, to teach all of us that God sends us everywhere. Now we can improve our facility. Now that I think there's a greater, I believe there's a greater sense of balance in the vision that God has for our church. I am of the mindset, incidentally, that on the whole, 
in the greater expanse of time, God will grow his kingdom greater through the planting of churches and campuses than through the fitting out of buildings. I fully believe that what we're doing here is important and that the health of this fellowship would be strongly benefited by expanding the, the, the building. But you, you should know, when we're, done with this, when we're done with all of the phases of this building program, we will not be able to do anything here. We're at, we're at our limit. And what do we have left but to plant? The question is, is the church alive? That question's harder. The question of the building is a lot easier. In fact, really, we just have two things remaining. Once, once we sort of say the church is alive, let's, let's meet the living church with a facility that's relevant and helpful, then it's just a question of timing and scope. When is the right time to build it? And how, do we, how, do we, how much can we spend without st- strangling God's bigger vision? Which is why our plan is a phased plan. We're gonna walk through in a way that doesn't drown us in debt, that doesn't sort of constrict the other good things that God is doing with us. Here's what I hope, and I'll close with this. There's the real church building program that I hope takes place. What I hope is, is that individuals and families that are towards the periphery kind of are moved by the Spirit to draw closer in. That's what happens when you put your money in a church, right? Where your money is, there is your heart also. Those who give here in real ways care in real ways, what's taking place here? They, they mirror one another. My prayer that we would all be called to greater faithfulness, that we would all experience in our own settings a step of faith and the fruit of faith by stepping out into what we think that God wants us to do. My hope is, is that People would move and migrate away from the things like uh, consuming church or being a customer of church or receiving the services of a church to being part of the ecclesia of God. Our question is, is this church alive? Once we answer that, we can move on to the second question. Let me pray, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I just want to carve out a moment for your reflection and your response with the Lord. Is this church alive? now, I'm not asking, are you alive in Christ? I certainly hope so. Or I'm not asking what role you've played in this church, whether it's alive or dead. I just want you to think about Sycamore Hill Church. Is it alive?
Are we simply meeting or is this church moving? Does this fellowship seek to make a difference in its community, in the world? Do we feel moved towards our neighbors through the ministry of this church? Do we just do things because we've always done them that way? Or are we continually... recognizing that we have barely tasted of the kingdom of God and that for the rest of our life he will call us to new things is Sycamore Hill Church a gathering of people pray for that wisdom that Paul wrote about, that wisdom that our eyes may be illuminated to see all that you have in store for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.